0: The reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and can be found on page 1160 of the Church Bible. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, You show you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the lord who is the spirit good morning
1: my thanks to robin for leading the the first part of the service um i wonder what kind of person you are 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 you a glass half full person or are you a glass half empty person um an optimist or a pessimist we're gonna get a powerpoint Ah, no monitors, right. (laughs) Um, Let me suggest that there there are at least three. I'm sure there are an awful lot more than this, but there are at least three ways um, of of kind of answering that question in terms of optimism and pessimism, which is obviously something that that is related to um, the new year. There's what I'd like to describe as blind optimism there will be a whole lot of people tonight who will uh, and some already have in samoa and places they've they've watched the fireworks uh, and they're saying great i hated 2023 but it but it's over it's gone it's finished now it's 2024 everything will be amazing uh, and they may well hold on to that until about january the 3rd um because It is just blind optimism, isn't it? Because the world doesn't change just because uh, we're in a new year. Um, We don't change because we're in a new year. So so that's kind of blind optimism. Uh, And then there's realistic pessimism. Did any of you hear this morning um, on, on the World Service an essay from Ukraine? If you did, can I just say, why weren't you asleep? You should have been. It was an unearthly hour to be listening to the radio. I did. Um, And and it was pessimistic. Sadly pessimistic. Talking about the the fact that there probably would need to be a new draft. uh, And then saying, but all the volunteers have already volunteered. The people who will be drafted don't want to go. Desperately don't want to go. Um, Some of them will try and evade going. Others of them will go, but they don't want to. Uh, And it it was quite a a downbeat essay from a man who said, this is the first year since the conflict began that I'm beginning to despair. So there, there, there are people out there who are in situations where they look and they say, do you know what? The whole thing is a mess. Maybe they're they're thinking about climate change, or maybe they're they're thinking about the the economic situation where they live, or they're thinking about the political kind of situation, or they've got a view on the world, uh, and and they can see Putin growing in in kind of confidence, and they think, ah, there's at least a third, and it would be the one that I would hold call it what you like, but uh, I'm going to call it faith-based certain ultimate optimism. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Faith-based certain ultimate optimism, which actually allows you to be realistic about the world in which we live, while optimistic uh, about what is actually ultimately going to happen, uh, and not just ultimately in the sense of... um, you know, pie in the sky when you die, um, but, but something that has a direct impact on us here and now. Uh, and the, is that going to work? <coughs> no, that isn't going to work. Oh, it is, yeah. The new covenant. Needs two ticks for each one? Okay, right. Right. Um, Firstly, a little bit of speculation. If you've got an amazingly good memory, you may um, recognize this because it is slightly unusual. And I did use it, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. Um, The rest of what I'm going to say, I didn't use four or five years ago, though I doubt any of you would remember if I did, if I dug it out again and used it. But um, the New Covenant... A lot of people, um, including Charles Spurgeon, and you're usually pretty safe if you um, quote Charles Spurgeon, not too many people are keen on kind of arguing with him, but say what you like about Spurgeon. He had a vivid imagination, Uh, and he draws together all sorts of scripture. If you want a copy of this, I'll happily give it to you, and you can annotate it for yourself uh, and work out what he's referring to when, Um, but... Spurgeon argues that the the new covenant is actually part of an eternal covenant, and he imagines a conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We've been looking recently, haven't we, at um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Uh, and Spurgeon draws together all sorts of of, of, um, scriptures, uh, and he imagines a conversation that takes place takes place somewhere in the kind of eons of past history this is how it goes he says the first to speak is the father who vows to save a people whom he will love forever and then he kind of gives the quote that isn't a quote i the most high jehovah hereby give unto my only begotten and well-beloved son a people countless beyond the number of the stars who shall be by him washed from sin, by him preserved and kept and led, and by him at last presented before my throne without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I covenant by oath and swear by myself because I can swear by none greater that these whom I now give to Christ shall be forever the objects of my eternal love Them I will forgive through the merits of his blood. To these I will give a perfect righteousness. These will I adopt and make my sons and daughters. And these shall reign with me through Christ eternally. Then he says, it's the Holy Spirit's turn to speak. I hereby covenant to all whom the Father gives to the Son. I will in due time... Make them alive. I will show them their need of redemption. I will cut off from them all groundless hope and destroy their refuge of lies. I will bring them to the blood of sprinkling. I will give them faith whereby this blood shall be applied to them. I will work in them every grace. I will keep their faith alive. I will cleanse them and drive out all depravity from them. And they shall be presented at last spotless and faultless then says Spurgeon finally it's time for the son of God to make his covenant commitment my father on my part I covenant that in the fullness of time I will become man I will take upon myself the form and nature of the fallen race I will live in their wretched world For my people, I will keep the law perfectly. I will work out a spotless righteousness which shall be acceptable to the demands of your just and holy law. In due time, I will bear the sins of all my people. You shall exact their debts on me. The chastisement of their peace I will endure. And by my stripes, they shall be healed. My Father, I covenant and promise that I will be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I will magnify your law and make it honorable. I will suffer all they ought to have suffered. I will endure the curse of your law and all the vials of your wrath shall be emptied and spent upon my head. I will then rise again. I will ascend into heaven. I will intercede for them at your right hand. I will make myself responsible for every one of them, that none of those whom you have given me shall ever be lost. But I will bring all my sheep of whom by your blood you have constituted me the shepherd. I will bring every one safe to you at last. I it's speculative but it's biblical it's just gathering together scriptures uh, uh, and putting them into a uh, uh, an imagined situation but the reality is there and that reality is something to be grasped because one of the things we can say about the new covenant ah it helps if you don't press the little one that's got a light on it that helps it's promised. It's promised. The new covenant is promised in Scripture. When Jesus stands and says, a, a new covenant I give you, he's, he's fulfilling promises that were made long, long ago. Just one example, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The old covenant, of course, is the one that was made at Sinai. Uh, And it was not a mistake on God's part. Sometimes Christians seem to portray it as if it was a mistake. You know, that God tried the law uh, and Sinai, and that didn't work. So he thought, "I'll, I'll come up with something new. No, that's the way you and I work. It's not the way God works. The old covenant, the the covenant of law made at Sinai, did both of the things it was intended to do. Uh, And those two things were were very simply to show us the holiness of God's nature and character. You remember as they gather around Mount Sinai, it's a terrifying experience, Will, quote from hebrews a little bit later on um the the writer to hebrews description of it but it's thunder it's lightning it's dark clouds it's fear it's a warning fence around the mountain don't come near or you'll die the holiness of god lest we think that that our sinful lives are somehow acceptable to him but the second thing it was to do through the sacrificial system and in other ways was to point us to Christ as our only hope, uh, and the new covenant comes because of those two things, uh, and so it, it is inaugurated. First Corinthians eleven is the first reference we have. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, and after he had supped, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood." He's saying, in effect, all that was foreshadowed in the law um, is now fulfilled and is is now brought into being. He's he's anticipating what's going to happen over the next hours and days. His betrayal, his scourging, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection... And he's doing it using those symbols of bread and wine that we still use today when we have a communion service. And he says, this is the new covenant. This is what I am bringing about now. And it's explained. It's explained, Hebrews 8.8. He finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The writer to Hebrews um, is, is very keen on saying, look, there wouldn't be a new one if the old one had been sufficient. Um, I suppose it's only in our um, consumer based society that we buy something new until the old is no use to us anymore. Um, it, you go to a poor country and nobody buys something new until they absolutely have to. Well, the old needed to be replaced with the new because the old while it achieved those two objects of showing us the holiness of God uh, and showing us our own sinful nature and pointing us to Christ only pointed Uh, and and the the glory of the gospel the the wonder that we've been remembering over this Christmas period the word became flesh and dwelt among us God stepped out of heaven as Paul says in Philippians, he emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant. He suffered, he died, therefore God has highly exalted him. The, the gospel flows directly out of the old, the new supplants the old, so that the, the law has been kept, but not by us, but by Christ. Uh, and the, the death sentence has been paid, but not by us, by Christ. Writer to the Hebrews says, therefore he is the mediator, that is the Lord Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He has achieved what we could not achieve it is anticipated, but it's already tasted. I I wonder what you think on a Sunday particularly, but um, at at any time, uh, when you wake up and, you know, kind of rub your eyes and say, oh, it's church today. I, I, I wonder what then goes through your mind. I wonder how many of us think in these terms. This is Hebrews 12, 22 to 25. I wonder how many of us think that we are Coming to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, having a party, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Is that how we think of it? I I, I guess most of us, our, our, our kind of anticipation falls a little short of that. But that is the reality, isn't it? As we gather here today to worship our incarnate Lord Jesus, the Word made flesh for us, we are part of that world church. We are part of that a gathering of the firstborn. We're part of the fruits of his life and death. Uh, and we have a, a future. We, we're gathered with the spirits of those who, like us, have been made righteous. Uh, and we're in the presence of more angels than you and I can count, who are also praising and worshipping the Lord God. So... I'm a faith-based, what did I say? Can't even remember it myself. I'm a faith-based, certain, ultimately optimistic person. uh, And I am in terms of the new covenant. But also in terms of the new birth. New birth is essential. New birth is essential. We, we covered this recently, so I, I, I'm not going to dwell on it um, too much. You can um, listen to, to past messages, but it, it is essential, isn't it? When Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus have their discussions um, about the new birth, one of the things that Jesus is pressing, as hard as can be pressed, is there is no alternative to this. One of the Unfortunate side effects, I think, of the fact that um, in the 50s and 60s and, and, and beyond, um, Billy Graham was so well known for speaking about born again. You must be born again. Great emphasis. But Christians started to talk about born again Christians as if they were a subset of Christians. Christians. Whereas the reality, of course, isn't it, that you're either a born-again Christian or you're not a Christian. It's, it's, not, it's not a subset, it's simply a definition. You must be born again. John 3.3, Jesus says, I say to you in truth, in very truth I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I, if you wonder sometimes why when you're trying to, to witness to people, uh, and, and you think, as, as in our kind of pride we do sometimes, don't we, that, that our presentation is so clear. How can they not believe? You know, you give somebody a book which has a really powerful effect on you, uh, and you think, well, well I want to give them that book. Once they've read that and they've seen the, the clarity and the power and the authority, or you take them to hear a preacher, who's so eloquent, and you think, wow, if, if they don't, and they don't. Well, Jesus says it's because unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. It, it is a mystery to you. He goes on in verse 5 of John 3 to say, In truth, in very truth, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and in John 3, 7, do not marvel That I said to you, you must be born again. Three times in one conversation, Jesus tells this leader of the Jews, you don't understand the very simplest thing of all. A miracle needs to take place in your life a change so radical, a change so wonderful, that the, the easiest way of imagining it is that everything has been kind of washed away and you've started afresh. I, I know for a fact I've told you this many times, but, uh, and I know you'll find it hard to believe, but I was a scruffy kid in, in, in school. My notebook was a disaster i have to say in my own defense do remember that we're going back now to sort of kind of almost pre-victorian school when we still dipped those stick pens into ink yeah there are some nods come in and you are going stick pen ink what is ink i do not understand ink is ink something like a gloss pen or you know no get this little piece of wood and on the end of it was a nib Uh, and we had wooden floors and we used to sit and drop the pen to see if we could get it to stick as near as possible to the lines on the wood, which didn't help the nib. You would then dip it in your inkwell and splatter it all over your page. It was a mess. Uh, and, And the books were stapled with those little blue covers you remember those little blue covers yes i'm very distressed that it's only the much older people that are nodding and saying i'm still with you and the younger ones are going don't know what he's been talking about for the last five minutes but at the end this tattered mess which in all fairness i had graffitied a little bit with little doodles and so on i'd fill in the last page of the last very end of the book Go to the front and say please sir please miss can i have a new book and you would be handed a pristine new book which stayed pristine till the end of that lesson about and then the degradation had started the destruction was already underway and that's the trouble isn't it that that when we try and just change ourselves it doesn't last because the the, uh, the ultimate problem is still there. We're still sinners. We're still alienated from God. We, we actually need something as radical uh, as can be described as born again. A whole new heart and a new mind and a new will and a new life. Uh, and the amazing thing is that Scripture says that can be not only a a wonderful aspiration but a present reality 1 peter 1 3 says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead or A little later in the same chapter, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. This new birth doesn't mean that we never sin again. But what it does mean is that our relationship with God is such now that that we can simply keep coming back to God. I can take that dirty, mucky, graffitied exercise book uh, of my life, and I can take it to God, not just every day, but the moment I'm aware that I've got an ink blot on it, the moment I'm aware that I've doodled um, on the the cover, or it's been bent, or the staple has come out, I, I can take that book, which is my life, and I can take it to the Lord, and I can say, Lord, make it new. And my God cleanses me from all sin and all all unrighteousness. And I am back in a right standing with Him. And, And that is my continual right as a believer. My right as a believer to those He gave the right to become the children of God. And that's what He's done. So, on an individual basis, I'm an optimist, because I believe that God, by His grace, can save anyone. Anyone. In, in lots of ways. For different reasons, different ones of us can kind of say with Paul, can't we, that we, we feel ourselves to be the chief of sinners or the, the least likely person to be saved. Uh, and my least likeliness comes not from the fact that I did, I did notoriously terrible things. I've never been on Interpol's most wanted uh, list in my life. I haven't got one of those dramatic testimonies. But I was a prize hypocrite. I, I, I did what I did so that people would think good of me. Not not because I had any essential goodness. Uh, and I came from a family where I've not been able to trace a believer in my family prior to me being saved. I didn't go to church. I was under no real Christian influence at all. And yet God found me and God saved me. Uh, and if God can save me, uh, and there would be others that could stand and give different testimonies with the same conclusion conclusion if God can save me he can save anybody any one of you listening here this morning anybody listening to to this on the internet now or at some point in the future don't 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 dare to say God can't save me don't dare to limit the grace and the mercy and the holiness and the righteousness of God It, it does not matter what you've done in the past it does not matter what your motives were If you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise of Scripture is you will be saved. You will be born again. He will do it. He can do it. He has done it. So I'm individually optimistic. People that I've prayed for for years and there's appeared to be no change um, over my my life and ministry, I've seen people who I genuinely believe with all my heart have been saved on their deathbed because the change has been so dramatic, but I would still counsel anyone not not to think that that is what they will do, because I've seen people as well die suddenly when the last thing that they've done is to spurn again the grace and the goodness of God. I don't know what happened in the last instance of their lives, but I do know that there are people in hell as well as there are people in heaven. Uh, And so my plea would be the plea of the writer to the Hebrews. Today, today, while it is today, don't harden your hearts. So, what about the world in which we live? Well, the new creation it is partly already a present reality. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the old has become new. Uh, being born again, as, as people around the world are born again, it, it, it is an earnest, it's a promise, it's, a, it's already an anticipation of the reality that one day God's going to change it all. It is all going to change. Galatians 6:15, 6 15, 6 15, Paul says neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Paul is saying there are there are lots of people out there who are already part of this new creation that the world that God is is building and is going to build but in addition it, it is a future hope. The last book in our Bible is written in a very specific context. It's written in the context of of great suffering. Put yourself for a moment in John's position. John the Apostle. He sees the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven. Uh, And then he sees amazing things happen. Uh, He he finds that that when he, in Jesus' name says things the the blind can see the the lame can walk um he he's arrested he's beaten and he's just glad that he's allowed to suffer he sees the gospel begin to spread around the world changing the roman world before his eyes but he also sees all of his fellow apostles die he sees the next generation of them suffering and dying for the faith Rome, with all its might and power, it is throwing itself against the church. And John is a prisoner of war on the island of Patmos. And he has a vision. He has a vision. And the essential nature of that vision, without going into any details on it, is hey, John, we're going to win. We're going to win. In fact, John, we have already won. This is that part of the war when the, the end result is already certain and cannot be changed and cannot be altered. And John, amongst other things, records these words in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Uh, And that's an essential requirement, isn't it? Got the wrong. No essential requirement was missing, not to worry. Uh, It's an essential requirement. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, And not only creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'm going to say hands up, but don't bother. Um, Anybody fed up with their present body? Why is it the older people that nod in the most vigorously? Again, I'm getting much more response from them this morning. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, I- if you're in your teens, you may be quite happy with your body. thinking This is, this is a pretty fit body. <laughs> when you're in your 80s, you're going, it ain't so good now. Um, are, are we groan, but, but Paul is saying the whole of creation is groaning. Every earthquake, every volcanic eruption I- is creation groaning and saying it's not supposed to be like this species going out of existence. It's not supposed to be like this. And God says, creation is groaning, but it's groaning in eager expectation. The believers in the midst of this are saying, but it's going to get better. Well, in fact, it's going to be erased and and, and recreated. There's going to be a new and, and part of that is going to be the redemption of our bodies. Are you not looking forward to banqueting without having been hungry first? Are you not looking forward to the fact that, that you will have no pain, that, that, that you, your body won't groan and creak, that you'll be able to run and dance if you want to? You, you, you'll have your, your whole life... There'll be no such thing as, as, as people suffering from mental health problems. Everything, everything, everything is going to be made new. And so it's something that can be grasped here and now. Revelation 5.5 as john's vision is unfolding um, he sees an angel saying you know who who can open the scroll the scroll is symbolic of who can unleash the future that god has promised Uh, and john weeps because nobody's found that can do it Uh, and then we read these words one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals Uh, and jesus unfolds the the final acts of redemption which include the creation of that new heaven and the new earth we read in seven and verse six this is all revelation they will hunger no more they will thirst no more there will be no sun striking them and no scorching heat The mighty angel says Babylon the great city will be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. No more regimes that persecute. No more ethnic cleansing. No more genocide. All of that will be finished and over. The light of a lamp will shine no more. Nobody will need a torch or a lamp Nobody will need the sun or the moon because the brightness of God himself will illuminate the world in which we live. Chapter 21, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. God is going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. There'll be no more night because the Lord God will be our light. So when it comes to all of the the kind of the big issues, climate change, exhaustion, I'm still a faith-based certain ultimate optimist because it doesn't rest ultimately with us don't misunderstand me I'm not saying we should plunder the planet we should care for it and tend it that was what God told us to do but at the end of the day the one thing I'm absolutely certain of is that God is going to take hold of individuals and save them because that's what he's promised to do Those people he's taken hold of and saved, he will preserve and keep and one day bring them to the Father's presence. But I'm also totally convinced that this world that he made, he's going to cleanse and make anew so that we will one day dwell in a new heaven and a new earth where sin does not exist. So going into 2024, am I pessimistic or optimistic? Well, I'm not going to stand here and say I think it's all going to get better than it was in 2023. It may well not do. It may get worse. But ultimately, ultimately, our world is in the hands not of politicians or of potentates, but the hands of Almighty God who has already demonstrated to us the incredible extent of His love for us by sending his own son to suffer and die that we might be born again and become citizens with all the rights of citizenship of the kingdom of God and inheritors of the new heaven and the new earth that he will make, not may make. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for The Christian hope, not a cross your fingers hope, not a touch wood hope, but a sure and certain hope based on the promises of the God who cannot, not just does not, but cannot lie. And those promises are so clear and those promises are so wonderful. Uh, And they're individual, repent and believe the gospel and you will be saved and they're universal. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. So, Lord, help us to be faith-based, realistic, optimistic believers. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.